This morning is Sunday, March the 4th, 2007, approximately 11 o'clock. And today's title of the message is Great Expectations. Amen? Amen? Amen. Hebrews 4.12. Anybody, somebody. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Amen. So it's living. It's active. Sharper than a double-edged sword. So, when your first thought of what the Word of God is, consider the, the audience that he's writing to, what word is he talking about? Physically, what word is he talking about? The Torah. The Torah. So, when we say the Older Testament is uh, boring, it doesn't have much treasure in it, it has a lot of shadows and types that we study, but is it filled with the riches of God's Word? Is it filled with revelation? That's where we're going to dig this morning. Great expectations. Now, <laughs> recently I had an uh, employee review. That means on a yearly basis, you're reviewed about things that you greatly expected to do that year. And being in sales, uh, it's one of those things where not only are you selling to outside personnel, but also you got to do inside sales to your boss and get an amen from Bobby. <laughs> he, he he's perfected it. Yeah, be glad he wasn't doing the review. <laughs> I'd be unemployed. So uh, whenever I, I, I met with my boss, you know, they talk about, okay, what do you project to do this year, and this is what you've done last year. So uh, I have to make an accurate assessment to anticipate what's to come in the future. But let me read what Wikipedia says. Hey, can you unplug the speakers? Yeah. Oh, I got it. Can you hear me now? Oh, yeah. Oh, what's up? I'd rather, I'd rather be free and loose to just belt it out. All right, definition in Wikipedia. The act or state of expecting or looking forward to an event as about to happen. Now, this word is filled with a lot of great expectations. Expectations from God to man, man to God, and man to man. But, more on a personal note, oftentimes, those with kids, you tell your kids, okay, after we take a bath, I'll give you chocolate, I'll give you candy, right? Okay. What's the time frame that they ask, again, when they're going to get that candy? Immediately. Right away. Like two seconds. They have a, you know, a memory span that, it's two seconds physically, but, you know, they think it lasts about two hours. And I have to keep reminding my kids, okay, wait till after we're bath, we take a bath, wait till we're finished. And it's probably, what, at least eight times between that point and taking a bath, they ask for the candy. That kind of attitude I want to take towards the work. Now, I get frustrated with my kids because they keep asking me, they keep asking me. But within them, they see something that's desirable, that they can look forward to, that will come in the future, and their taste buds can almost taste it. They're just waiting to physically put it in their mouth. When we read God's Word, that's the attitude that we're supposed to have, that you can almost taste it. It just physically has to be there. That's how the Word becomes living and active, as we read in Hebrews 4.12. Everybody turn to Exodus 12. And the hardest part about, I guess, putting this together is that there's so many examples within the title of Great Expectations uh, to pull from from the Word. But one in particular, I wanted to choose more or less because of its, how can I say, more practical application. You'll see what I mean. Exodus chapter 12, verse 24. There? there? Anybody else there? Been there. Been there. Cool. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you 
and your descendants when you enter the land that the Lord God will give, Lord will give you as He promised. Observe this ceremony. The ceremony He's talking about is Passover, conjoined with unleavened bread. Uh, and when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is Passover, is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. Now, bringing it back to the personal level, the thing that stood out to me was that last verse in 28. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. When raising my children, that's not always the case. They don't do just as I told them or commanded them. <laughs> I have to remind them several, several times. Now, the preface to this, you have the plagues of Egypt, right? Moses is raised up. He comes from the wilderness, the 40 years in the wilderness. He's raised up to lead the people out of Israel. They reside in a section of, it, of Egypt that basically is untouched by the plagues. But here's this final one. This one that's going to take the firstborn of all their livestock as well as their children. The firstborn of their houses. So he says, sacrifice a lamb, take a hyssop branch, spread the blood over your doorpost, and eat unleavened bread. And the, the, the attitude is, this, is that you're going to eat in haste. Now, one thing when I dove into the Word tonight was when Passover happened, I'm pretty sure it began at midnight is when the, the Spirit of the Lord began to go over the whole camp. So we're talking about 12 o'clock at night, right? Well, as it began to come over, the firstborn of uh, the houses that did not have their doorposts sprinkled began to die, and there was great wailing all the way around. Began to hear screams and cries. Well, when a short period of time, Pharaoh and his attendants came to Moses and Aaron and said, That's it. I see that your God is great. Get up and get out of here. Leave and flee. Uh, go down to verse 37 in chapter 12. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Stop right there. Reliant Stadium, how many people can it hold? 90, About 90,000, right? So, you know, add another 10 and take that and multiply it six times and that is just the men. More than likely for every man, there was a woman and for every woman, there's an additional child. So we're talking about what? 1.8 million people? At least. Then you have the livestock. Good Lord, we have a Walmart on just about every corner to feed, what, 60,000 people? Can you imagine the food, the livestock, everything that they had to take with them, including Shafar? <laughs> oh, Lord. High and lifted up. Anyway, uh, wow. Oh, my life. <laughs> Actually, keep it right here. If you're sleeping, I'm going to whack you with it. <laughs> Judgment begins with the house of the Lord. Anyway, um, so you have roughly 1.8 million people traversing out of the country. Now, let's keep reading. Many other people went up with them, as well as the large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough they had brought from Egypt, they baked cakes of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now, let's make some parallels here. Typically, when we talk about Israel leaving Egypt, what do we parallel it to? Egypt being? Okay equals the world. Now, in the light of this sentence, what does leaven? L-E-A? I 
forget how to spell when I get up here. It seems to be a common trait. <laughs> I feel your pain. That's why I was supporting David, and then we pick on his spelling. <laughs> the scribe. So here we have 1.8 million people leaving out, the people called by God, leave out of the world. The final judgment on the world beginning at midnight, Pharaoh kicks them out. They don't have time to let sin dwell in their bread. The reason why we have unleavened bread as part of this because we don't have time to let sin sit in our bodies. We don't have time to let sin breed and take its full course. The end of sin is death. Those who sat and waited for their bread to rise would still be in slavery and eventually still be in death. When I look at this, and you know, we're talking about doing a, a Seder or a, a Passover-type meal here soon because it's coming up on the Spring Feast. When we eat these things, can't you see that even us as Gentile Christians can partake of this and make the parallels? God was trying to embed in them and through them proclaim to us that we don't belong to Egypt. That's not our heritage. I don't belong to this world. That's actually taking up the attitude of Abraham. I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. I think he named one of his kids after that. And we don't have time to let leaven rise in us. We are the, the dough taken out by haste. You're snatched out. The word saved also means what? Delivered. Delivered. Snatched out as about to be taken up by fire. Let's keep reading. Let's go down to verse 50. Y'all getting some out of this? All right. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. Now, most of you know the end product of what this story entails. But just a Kind of, let's put on slow motion here. You have a, a nation, the Israelites, that had been in slavery or in, under the rule of the Egyptians for 430 years. How old is our country, the U.S. and the United States? Okay. So they, 225? In 76, it was 200 years old. So, okay, so roughly in the mid 200s. <laughs> Sheesh. <laughs> okay, so when we think of 4th of July, name me some other things that go with it. Fireworks. Barbecue. Barbecue. Yeah, what's up? Especially in Texas. When we think of Christmas. Okay. Perfect, perfect. Win, lose, or draw. Here we go. So, with only roughly 200 or two and a half hundred years that sounds weird 2.5 250 years of tradition being set in us can you can you imagine for some reason there was a, a clear distinction within our country between two people groups he said okay now you are to leave your traditions you're to leave your comfort zones your homes yes you've been in slavery but you know what I kind of you know, this is the way we've always done it this is our tradition God called them not only out of the world, but He called them out of their tradition. What they had set their feet in for 430 years. So next time you hear somebody say, well, that's just the way we've always done it. That's just our tradition. Hey, I'm sorry. That is worldly leaven. <laughs> there you go, brother. What's supposed to be our standard? Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is a living and it's active. That's what we build on. So, we have 430 years of tradition, and all of a sudden they're starting to come out. And you know, like when you get ready for a big trip, or even when you go to do something great for Jesus, right? The very first part of it, you're excited. Now, I mean, finally they caught on to the vision and said, all right, we're being delivered. No more of this brick making, man. I'm sick of this stuff. Uh, Masons, I don't know, whatever. So we... We go out, and we begin our journey. We have all of our stuff. And then this is what happens. Because of the great fear that God put on the Egyptians, the Egyptians were giving them their stuff. They, in fact, they plundered them, taking what the Egyptians had. So now, I mean, God has given them favor 
through the plagues. They didn't touch them. They're delivered. Pharaoh gives the release. Go ahead. The Egyptians have the fear of the Lord on them. And they're getting their gold and all their treasure possessions. And they're heading out towards this promised land. Uh, it's kind of hard to see from here. But uh, let's go to chapter 13, verse 3. There? All right. <laughs> then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt out of the land of slavery because the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. God brought you out of sin, out of death, with a mighty hand. It's not a small thing. Every single day that you live, you breathe, you walk this earth, it's His divine power and covering over you. I'll jump off on this. Recently we went to a funeral, right? It's for a young man, about 22 years old. There's a great exceptions when I can honestly say it's God's will for somebody to die that young. First one in the word I think of is Stephen. Amen. He was a martyr that set the pace, set the precedent for Christians of that day. But this young man particularly, I know without a shadow of a doubt, had a bigger and better future than what uh, his, his life had already entailed. I knew it was untimely. So, to say that, uh, uh, you know, if it was God's will or in case Sarah, Sarah, whatever, man, it was absolutely untimely. And it was God's will that he should live. But the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. In regard to this, he. Uh, He had great expectations on his life. I did personally because of the way that he was involved with me as far as uh, dating my sister. So to hear others comfort her by saying, uh, you know, he's just, you know, he's just, uh, it's an untimely thing, whatever. You know, it's just, it's God's will, whatever. Anyway, uh, that just doesn't set right in me. And you kind of see I'm kind of blank on the faces because it stirs up a deep emotion. Absolute deep, deep emotion. When people say, how can God let this happen? How can bad things happen to good people? I want you to look down an interstate one day and realize how many times do you come close to death? What would it take, boom, for you to be in an accident? Or for you to die? But yet, what, average age in here is, what, 35, maybe, you know, 28? You live 28 years, so 28 times 365. That's how many days you live. Break it down even further than hours. How long does it take to get in a car wreck? Seconds. God is merciful. He is absolutely merciful. So when people say, how can bad things happen to good people? Well, look at the good he's done for 20-something years. Look at the way he's, his mercy has expanded. How many times has he saved you from, from, from peril? Today is the day of the Lord's salvation. All right, 13.3, back to verse, right before 4. Brought you out with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today, in the month of Aviv, or Aviv, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land He swore to your forefathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you have to observe this ceremony in this month. It goes further on, gives some uh, decrees about how to celebrate it, but the idea is that you commemorate it. It sounds kind of silly, but... The day that you got born again, rejoice. Yeah. Celebrate it. Amen. That was the day that you had the blood sprinkled on you. Amen. Death was looking to pass over, and it didn't. Stay within that doorpost. The minute you get outside of that covering, that doorpost, you're susceptible. You are fair game for death. So I think uh, 
For Cass, it's uh, 12-15. For, for me, it's February 17. I want those days to just stick, absolutely stick. If, we're, if we're, you've been saved for a long time, raising a Christian household, use some other mile markers where God did something extraordinary. Because we see as Israel goes throughout and makes, uh, conquers territories, they set up stones. For the same reason they, they said, when your children ask, when they ask about the feast, when they ask about these stones, who can say amen to children ask? I do. It's good. God created them to be that way. He created you and I to be that way. Be inquisitive to search out why does this happen? Why is this here? So we can find out the wisdom and knowledge of God. All right. Let's skip down to verse 17. Chapter 13 of uh, Exodus. <laughs> this is where it gets funny. I literally, I was laughing the whole time I was, I was reading this section. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. Why didn't God just get rid of this desire in me to do this? See what I mean? For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Now, they've experienced the plagues, the Passover. They exit out of the country with plunder from Egypt, right? Pharaoh and his army is in confusion. They're distraught. Israel's heading out. And God says, eh, not the shorter route. Let me bring you over here. Where was over here? Facing the Red Sea. Does that sound like an impossible task? Yeah. Oh, we're, we're going to be pinned in a corner. You'll see exactly what details it was, but, you know, at this point, Israel's emboldened. They're walking out saying, oh, yeah, man, God is with us, but we're not going the shortest route. Why are we doing this? Because God knew He was beginning to see what was in their hearts. Now, they had obeyed. We read earlier. They did just what the Lord commanded. They did exactly what Moses and Aaron told them to do. Christianity is easy when there's no war. Amen? It's easy to say, I'm happy today when all your meals are on your table, when all your bills are paid, when your bosses pat you on the back and say, great job, every single day. Let's keep reading. So God led the people around by the desert road. Does it have stuff growing in it? Does it have water accessible and fruit just hanging all over the place? No. Okay. So make sure. By the desert road toward the Red Sea, the Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Now, what was the reason that God said not to take the shorter route? So they don't face war. But yet, they're ready. Those who got radically born again, within the first six months, what were you ready to do? Take on the world. I'm going to take them down. Go to the mall. You were armed for battle, man. I'm going to be a missionary next week. I'm going to see millions saved because I'm just on fire. I'm going to light them up, baby. But God necessarily didn't take you that route, did He? No. You were armed for battle on the exterior, but were you on the interior? Time is always the telling truth. Because in time you will face war. You will face that battle. And you'll have your chance to prove your worth, whether or not he can entrust you with that battle. Who goes into battle expecting to be defeated? Nobody. <laughs> well, then they had one that raised up and believed in the Lord. <laughs> amen. Amen, amen. All right, let's skip over to 14, verse 1. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hiroth, between Migdal and the sea. Sounds like a rock and a hard place to me. Directly opposite of Baal-Zephon. This is God speaking. 
Pharaoh will think, The Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. Who knows your enemies better than you do? God. God does. So, when confronted in making war with your enemies, who is your commander-in-chief that knows the battle plan? God had already tested Pharaoh's heart. He knew what was in Pharaoh's heart, and he was predictable to God. Now, outside of the, the understanding that God is awesome, mighty, and has the availability to know all things, this was in plain, obvious sight. God tested him. God found out what was in his heart. So God could play him like a harp later on to accomplish his will. That's a scriptural term, too. <laughs> David told Goliath, I'll play you like a harp. <laughs> the Israelites are one. Oh, here we go. And he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So wait, 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 wait a minute. God is putting me between a rock and a hard place so that he can get glory? He's putting me basically as bait so he can be glorified and let his name be displayed among this other awful nation that put me in slavery? The purpose of the church is in Ephesians is to make known to the heavenly realms the manifold wisdom of God. You are His instruments of displaying His glory. And that is not getting up behind a microphone and singing the best song you ever sang in your life. It's when you step down off of that stage and people are firing darts at you. They're trying to take your house. They're trying to take your land. They're trying to destroy you. But you stand firm and be still and watch God deliver you. And hey, I was thinking about bringing a mirror up here today, uh, today because I'm preaching to myself. This is what we've had to do and to some degree still do. You are God's instruments. You are His choice to display His glory through. And it's not going to be through your strength. It's going to be when you are in the weakest point possible. Amen. That's right. <laughs> Let's continue on. Yeah. Da, da, da. Let's see, where did I leave off here? <laughs> I got the preaching and left my place. Verse 4. And Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Once again, they obeyed. They did exactly what the Lord said to do. Now, <clears throat> verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled... Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost our services. No more bricks. What are we going to do? We have to work now. It's an executive nation. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. Now, God moved them around the land of uh, Philistia so they wouldn't enter into battle, right? But they, I'm armed for battle. Now, this is where I begin to crack up. In football, what's one of the most common mistakes to make before a football game if you're not number one? We're number one. We're number one. Woo! We did that and got beat 72 to 14. We went this way. We're last. We're last. They were marching out boldly. Oh, yeah. I looked at that Egyptian and I went, What you want? What you want? <laughs> hey, you flinched. You flinched, didn't you? I made you flinch. I'm bad. They were emboldened. But it's like that little banny rooster that doesn't know his size. I could just see God going, 
You bunch of doofuses. <laughs> you think you're bigger than you really are. But watch this. Now, they had obeyed the Lord, right? They hadn't faced battle yet. Oh, yeah, we're going through the desert. Ooh, God's with us. He did all the plagues. We didn't get touched. We got lots of gold. We had to eat unleavened bread, but, you know, we had a contest. <laughs> Who could chew the most crackers with saying bunny or whatever? <laughs> so you had 1.8 million people moving out in this rock and hard place. Now, here's the real test. Here come the Egyptians. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pharaoh, opposite Baal Zephon. Now, if I didn't know the rest of the story, what would you think would maybe happen? Maybe a slaughter, but you know they're armed for battle. They've just been delivered. They might put up some kind of fight, right? Okay. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites. Looked up. Now, they looked up from being bold. Oh, yeah. I'm going to take him down. I told that dude if he messed with me, I'll punch him in his eye. They looked up and they saw the chariots. And what did they do? Oh, my God! That's like the person carrying, person carrying the, the sword. In fact, when it says marched out boldly, it says they have the, uh, the, the hand, the hand lifted up highly. That's what I meant by holding up that number one. They're walking out. They got their swords. Oh, yeah, we're bad. I'm going to take them down and they come near me. But when they turn and look up and see the Egyptians, they melt and just fall to pieces. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There was a meeting we went to in Denton, Texas, 30,000 men. Let's pray against the storm. It's an outdoor meeting, right, in a, a football field. Let's pray against the storm. And these clouds look wicked. I mean, I, I've seen thunderstorms, but in Louisiana, it's just a lot of rain. You don't see clouds, you know, spelling out, I will kill you. <laughs> they had curled up, and it, almost like a tornado was just going to, like eight of them were going to fall out of these clouds. And they start ripping in and said, well, there's witches in this area and they're probably praying against us. Let's turn and face this cloud and pray. Like two seconds into it, the stage falls apart. Run for your lives! <laughs> and me and Eric are going, you bunch of women? What are you doing? This is a men's promise keepers. So me and Eric are standing there still praying against the storm and once we get soaking wet and it's cold, we said, ah, let's rejoice. So we slid from the 50-yard line to the end zone on a wet tarp. Anyway, very, very similar instance here. All right. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt, out of our comfort zone? Now they're pointing at God and saying, it's your fault. I obeyed you, but I didn't know it was going to cost this. They're going to kill us. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? Woo! It's probably partially true. But they saw the favor of God when they were in Egypt, and they sure did rejoice about it and obeyed fully. You were a willing party. You had a chance to not put the Passover lamb above your doorstep. When you're a Christian, hard times come. That's not to be your response. Well, if only I wasn't a Christian, these bad things wouldn't happen. People would like me more. I would have more friends. I'd have more money. Really? God made the opportunity for you to come into His covering from death. And now you're grumbling against it? A lot of things can uh, hinder you from the blessings of God. And some people would even say that certain activities, which most are scriptural, some are not. Getting drunk is, not drinking. But this will send you to hell. This will send you Your hair is too long. Your skirt's too short. Whatever. I know mine's not. But what's the one thing we begin to see a pattern about these people? When they're pressed, they grumble. Here's the scripture. I mean, if you've got time, look it up in James. For man cannot keep control of his tongue, 
His religion is useless. It's absolutely useless. Now, part of that would say, uh, you say the GD word and you say that word. That's part of it. It really is. The other part is grumbling, cursing. That's exactly what they're doing right now. They're cursing God's deliverance. They're cursing His actions to deliver them out of slavery, out of sin. Let's read on. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. The first war that they fight, was it that they had to learn how to fight? Was it that they had to trust themselves to overcome a battle? The first battle is dedicated to the Lord. The first battle is dedicated for the Lord to fight. The first battle for us, death, God fought and He won. We continually walk in that victory. Death doesn't have a hold. Egypt doesn't have a hold. It may try to pursue me, but it doesn't have a hold. I'm going to stand still. I'm not going to be shaken. But on the inside, what do I really do? Oh my God! It's like standing on the white line, you know, the the third lane in traffic. Just be still. I'll deliver you. But cars are coming an eighth of an inch from my leg. What's going on? That's how close death came to them. Another funny part. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Why are you bugging me about this? Didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you that I would deliver you? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out, stretch your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army. I could just see God going, Okay, I told you. I told you. I tell my kids, Hey, Natalie, go put that blue sock on the stairs. Huh? Blue sock on the stairs. What? I told you. Blue sock on the stairs. Okay. It goes in the playroom. It's like, no, 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 no. Listen carefully. A man of God once said his mama taught him well. Taught him well by teaching him to obey the first time. If you got spanked whenever you didn't obey the first time, what would that make you do? Obey. Obey the first time. And listen very attentively to anything that you hear. Because you only got one chance. God's a little bit slower to anger, though. So, let's move on to uh, verse 31. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in Him and in, his, um, and in Moses, His servant. Okay. They kind of fainted at heart there for a minute. God delivers them through the Red Sea. They see their enemies crushed. Moses sings a song. Woohoo! God delivered us! Let's move on a little bit further here. Side note, hurricanes. Hurricanes come and all your essentials go down the tube, right? Roughly how long does it take to start getting edgy with other people? You can't take a bath, can't flush your toilet, and really can't cook anything good to eat. Your comfort zones have been removed. Think about this when we read it. Absolutely. Well, a lot of times when I read about Israelites or somebody in the Word that did something bad, I'm like, oh, bad you. I don't want to be like you. <laughs> uh, wait till you get there. Then you'll find out. All right. Where did I say? 22? Is that what I said? Yeah, 22. Well, let's go to 21. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. 
On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. Wait, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm back in 15. Uh, messed up here. Where do we need to go? 1522. Mara. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went to the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? They incur obstacle number one. The Egyptians surround them. They fall to pieces and grumble. They're delivered through. They see God's mighty hand. An awesome. A wall of water on your left. A wall of water on your right. Your enemies pursuing you. 1.8 million people minimum plus herd and stock make it through. Egyptians are conquered. They swallowed up in the sea, right? Three days later, they're grumbling they don't have anything to drink. Bad Israelites. Hmm. This is a, the word is to be a mirror. And I'm not talking about the kind you used to burn ants with. It's a mirror to you. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. That's a message all by itself. There the Lord made a decree and law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in His eyes, if you pay attention to His commands and keep all His decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who delivers, heals, saves you. Great expectations. God was calling this nation out of Egypt to go and conquer a land that was promised to their forefathers. God was expecting them greatly to be His chosen people on the earth to display His glory through to all the nations around. In their traversing to Canaan, they were also going because the Canaanites had defiled the land. They had they'd done horrible things, mainly including bloodshed and certain issues with animals. The land was vomiting them out and it was time for Israel to come in and, and restore the land. Let's read on. Then they came to Eliam where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees and they camped there near water. They grumble, they get delivered. They grumble, they get delivered. They grumble, they get delivered. How many times do you think God's going to really put up with this? Each time their grumbling gets more and more and more. And he comes to a point and says, I've had enough. I have had enough. Let's skip on down to 16. Chapter 16, verse 27. It's easy to say after a long time in Jesus, oh man, God worked that out. Yeah, I messed up. You know, I didn't really, I kind of reacted badly or this or that. I grumbled against the Lord, but He forgave me. It's going to be okay. Always check your heart for leaven. Make sure you are that unleavened bread. We, we equate this to sin, but it's really the sinful nature. It's at work in you, is what Paul says. Leaven is fighting within you to rise. Your sinful nature is fighting within you to rise. And to some degree, it's, it's powerful. It feels powerful. But it's not as powerful as the power of our King. When I got born again, there was an exceptional grace period where I was in love with Him. And it's like I just, I'm serious. It, was, it would be an all-out effort to sin. An all-out effort to do something wrong. That honeymoon kind of wore off. And that leaven began to kind of <laughs> creep back up. So every single day, 
I had to wash myself with the Word, wash myself with Jesus to cleanse, get rid of that leaven, tell that dirt to get down or tell that leaven to unleaven. (laughs) If we don't, it rises up and it will disqualify you. That is possible. 16, verse 27. We there? Yes. All right. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the 77th day to gather it. Talking about manna. But they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. The word Sabbath, you're making notes, means seven or the seventh. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. Let's skip down to uh, 17, chapter 17, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin. Now, that's just the name in Hebrew. That's not the literal sin. Traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Wow. Let's see. Based on their track record, what do you think they're going to do? Okay. So they quarreled. Wow, what a shocker. With Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? What's up? Get out. Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people, Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? I have to be careful that when bad things happen, that doesn't even come in my mind. If it does, I squish it like it's a big old roach. I kill it immediately because it will breed death. Let's go uh, to Numbers 14. There? They beat me. Numbers 14. Actually, <laughs> let's back up a little bit. <clears throat> Chapter 13. There. There. Easy. Start in 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Skip on down. Verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. Now, for geographical reasons, this is basically on the edge of Canaan. I mean, obviously they went and explored it, but they were basically on the verge about to do what God had called them to do out of Egypt. They'd seen all the miracles. They grumbled quite a few times. Now they're about to go and take possession. So this isn't just the... Anyway, uh, keep reading. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. 
But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Basically, we're surrounded. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. When you feel like you've been hit in the stomach and you're bent over trying to get your breath and feel like, I can't do it, this needs to come back to your mind. We can certainly do it. The exterior parameters or situations tell me I can't. They're bigger than me. They're more numerous than me. They have more money than me. But we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. That's just the way I am. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, let the land we... I'm sorry. The land we explored devours those living in it. The people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Key phrase, in our own eyes. Hebrews 4.12 For the Word of God is living and active, dividing joint and marrow, soul and spirit, judging the thoughts and the attitudes of of the heart. The Word is my eyes. I trust the Word first. That's got to be my default rather than what I see with my eyes. If I don't, I will fall into this attitude every single time. Logic is good. Logic gets me through the day, you know. When, well, maybe not this one, but when my gas tank says E, it means empty. <laughs> so put more gas in it. That's pretty logical. Yeah, that devil took all my gas. <laughs> yeah, I don't receive it. And my car isn't either. Alright, let's read on here. Fourteen one. That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled. Shocker. Against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt. Well, guess what? You're about to have your chance. Or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Had they even done battle with them yet? No. no. They've already given up. Or our wives and children would be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Go back to slavery. Hmm. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Hmm. Someone who can see it my way. Who can relate to me. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Yehoshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. It's a great expectation that we are to inherit If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into the land, a land flown with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Sounds like faith to me. Their protection is gone. 
On the outside, they have all the fortifications that the world could ever throw up. But ultimately, what protection is he talking about? He's talking about they don't have the favor of Yahweh God. When you face a trial, when you face an obstacle, and I'm talking to myself, hold a mirror right here, their fortifications aren't good enough because Yahweh is not their covering. The blood of the Lamb is not their covering. When death, when the final judgment really comes, and I'm not just talking about the very end when Jesus comes back and all the earth is judged. I mean today. When your deliverer comes today for your situation, they don't have the same protection that you do. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Hmm. Go to 1 Corinthians 10. This year we've called it a year of... So it's a year of doing. We wouldn't properly prepare you... <laughs> If I didn't tell you that when you go to do these things, they're not going to go smoothly. If you try to do something for Jesus, expect obstacles. But from what we read earlier, so is that so that, well, God's just trying to discipline me. He's trying to beat me up. He's just leaving me out in the cold to die or whatever. He's gaining glory. He is gaining glory through your obstacles. Hey, I'm preaching this. So that means that more likely, I'll have to live it out here soon. That's usually the standard. But we already are. It's easy to see those in ministry or affiliated with ministry as, oh, well, they're special. They've dedicated their lives to serving Jesus. And that differs from you because? I'm only here doing what I do as a source of encouragement so that you guys do what you're already doing. You advance the kingdom in the workplace. You advance the kingdom in school. You are the light of the Lord everywhere you go. And whether it's us gathered here together, taking down giants, out serving, feeding the needy, clothing the poor, that's taking down giants. Loving your coworker that actually grates you to the, the bone. Day in and day out, bringing them lattes and donuts. That's advancing the kingdom and taking down giants. Listening to their phone conversations for 30 minutes when it could have been only three. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> okay, 1 Corinthians 10. Y'all getting some out of this? They're going to use this week? All right. We all remember the title? <laughs> See? <laughs> Great. We're talking about being pregnant. <laughs> Lindy's the only one with great expectations in that matter. But uh, I have an advantage over Eric in that the like one time out of the year that I preach, I mean... It's easy to remember the what I preached about because it's the one time that I preached that year. So the ratio is a little different, it's, you know. <laughs> All right. All right. Chapter ten, verse one. For I do not want you to be ignorant. You could just stop right there. Of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. We just read about that. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, manna, and drank the same spiritual drink, the bitter water that was turned sweet. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was the anointed one, was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. The very thing that they feared. We're going to die in the desert. We should have died in Egypt. You did. But you died in your heart before you ever physically died in the desert. The minute I give up on the inside, yeah, expect 
the outsider came in as well. Let's pick up. Now, these things occurred as examples or as types to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Now, they worshipped the calf one time, but were, for the majority, what were the other evil things? Not doing what God said. Absolutely. And grumbling. Those two go hand in hand. When you grumble, you're probably not going to do what God said. When you don't do what God said, you'll probably grumble. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, He will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. Last verse, last scripture, Hebrews 3. Verse 1. Everybody say, Aki. Aki. Here. Here. My Spanish is very good. It's mucho bueno. Hebrews 3 1. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. The great expectations. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and, and the hope of which we boast. Do you want to boast like those Israelites did? by marching out boldly, but when you face the the Egyptians, you crumble? This is the key one. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion, during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray. Now, it's not necessarily fair, especially within your close relationships with your friends or marriage partners, to use that term always or every time. <laughs> we learn in our marriage classes, those really need to stay out of your vocabulary. And if you must, you know, conclude things together, it's at a maximum most. But that's like once every ten years. But when God says their hearts are always going astray, He's one with clear insight. He's qualified. Absolutely. He is qualified. And they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, which was just, they shall never enter my rest. The goal of Christianity isn't to sit in this building every Sunday and Wednesday. That's not to get goosebumps when we worship. It's good but it's to encourage us as we live it and do it so that eventually I can enter His rest today as well as in the future. I enter it in by today by walking in His shalom, walking in His peace. That means 
I'm able to stand still and watch God deliver me. That means I'm able to advance with confidence, knowing my enemy is at at my hand. They'll be easily overcome. It's a fight. I fight it every day. And what I mean by fight it is renewing my mind with the Word so that my mind's not confused. Making sure this leaven doesn't rise so that I can be unleavened bread, sanctified for the Lord, showing that my expectation of Egypt is to leave hastily. When they ate the Passover, they had their cloak tucked in as if they were going to run. When, when Pharaoh told them to get out of Egypt, they think of it like leaving for a hurricane. You didn't have time to cook your dinner. When sin creeps up at your door and you find it's beginning to rise, run with haste because it's death. And God's got great expectations for everybody in this room. I'm anxious to see 10 years from now what your lives are going to be like. And I think they're going to be awesome. Amen? Amen. Let's stand on our feet.